0: Hello and welcome back to Dutiful Future. Uh, this is the second from the uh, the home podcasts uh, and today I have my friend Roberto White. Hello, Rob.
1: Hello, Hugh. Lovely to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, it's, it's my pleasure, Rob. Uh, so who are you? What do you do? And uh, what are you here to talk about today, Rob?
1: Yeah, so uh, my name is Roberto White. Uh, second year pay student. Well, now third year, I guess. <laughs> I guess technically, yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, I'm here to talk about the, the role that China has played in the coronavirus and then expand a little more on what that will mean for uh, global politics and uh, Sino-West relations. Sure. So, uh, yeah, as you heard, the today's title of the podcast
0: is uh, Coronavirus Cover-Up and the Future of Chinese uh, Western Relations. Um, so... First of all, Rob, what would you, um, what, how you set the scene for us and sort of our starting point of the beginnings of the coronavirus starting out in China and the sort of government's reaction and how this sort of built up?
1: Yeah, so from, uh, from what I've read and my understanding of it is that I think it all goes back to the sort of wet markets that are very commonplace, not just in China, but in most of Asia. Um, and as opposed to the dry markets and maybe Western countries are used to, this is where Meats and and sort of live animals are, are held sold and traded and Yeah, it obviously came from uh, it's very commonplace in in China to to eat bats And there was some mix-up and someone ate the bat and all that But what's interesting and this didn't come out later is that there were some reports sort of in early December um, By the local like Chinese authorities saying oh well, we have this virus uh, or something's going on a lot of people are infected and there was this one scientist, which can't remember his name, but he actually tried to publicize it, and and then the Chinese government sort of covered it up, and I'm pretty sure he disappeared. Um, so that's sort of when exactly, quote unquote, disappeared, <laughs> disappeared. in in midland uh, in the middle of China somewhere. But no, and then the the Chinese government really, I think, when they realized that it was out of their control, that you know they can't make too many people disappear, is when they sort of. Um, allowed the media to catch hold of it but i remember because in new year's eve i i was in london and it was completely full of people but this scientist made the made the sort of warning in mid-december so you know that i think if if the chinese government would have owned up to it in the beginning maybe things wouldn't be as bad
0: so there was a there was a very interesting um, Financial Times article that came out pretty much I think last night actually, um, and it was called uh, "From Cover Up to Global uh, to Global Donor" uh, about about the Chinese government's responses to coronavirus. And uh, they sort of pointed this out as, as you did with the doctor um, when he uh, he died uh, with, uh, under suspicious circumstances, um, yeah, yeah. and it caused an online revolt and a lot of people to be you know very very angry because the Chinese government were attempting to cover up this. Um, this, this, this disease growing up in, a, in an attempt to not, like, basically panic the public. Um, and then from this, there's been a hard pivot towards, away from, you know, trying to hide the fact that it's happening, towards being uh, a figurehead for, basically, global aid, helping countries out like Italy, um, you know, helping quite a lot in Serbia as well, for example, the, the Serbian president, uh, Alexander Vucic, I believe it's pronounced, uh, called on his, uh, quote, brother and friend, uh, Xi Jinping, to uh, help out there um so what do you what would you identify as the the cause of this hard switch from trying to cover up a bit to okay not only are we going to acknowledge that it's a real problem we are also going to be uh, a major supporter of other countries around the world
1: well i mean it's it's all about opportunity and and beijing has ever since uh in 1949 done whatever it's in its best interests. so You know, they have recently suffered heavy economic setbacks from the the trade war with with Trump that started in uh, 2018. And you know, I imagine at the beginning the leadership would have thought, uh, you know, the Chinese Politburo would have thought that any sort of virus that originated in China would, would, you know, um, make people lose confidence in Chinese products and have all sorts of economic ramifications. So I think at the beginning it was about containing it and hoping it went away. Now, the transition into a sort of humanitarian uh, approach, I think, just came from the fact that they knew that they couldn't contain it. And they actually flipped it on its head and uh, they turned a weakness into a strength. They said, well, instead of the fact that Wuhan in China is the epicenter of it, uh, that shouldn't mean that we are the most sort of vulnerable and we are the most ill-prepared. They should we should flip that and make it that since it originated in China, we are the best. Uh, knowledgeable on the virus so they've, they've actually done a very um, interesting PR uh, switch but I think it's mainly because it's what benefits them here in the beginning it was about silencing people and now uh, since they can't uh, contain it then it's they have to portray themselves in the best light possible
0: so, um, my question would be: Do you think that there is a uh, potential comparison to be drawn between uh, the Chinese government and the U.S. government's handling of coronavirus in the early stages? I mean, so around when China was denying it, or just after um, Trump described uh, the coronavirus as a democratic hoax, um, in the sense that whether it would be a real problem or not, and then now that it's sort of gone beyond their control and their ability to to suppress concerns about it, they've switched and are now attempting to change their rhetoric to being all about solving these big issues um so do you think there is a comparison to be to be drawn between these two governments handling of it or is there a significant difference
1: well i think that because there's two types of responses so i think in the immediate response uh the very nature of china's government means that they are uh, able to strip their citizens of their individual rights very quickly um and very effectively so uh, you know after the reports came out w- w- Wuhan was essentially quarantined and shut down a city of, I think, 11 million people, which is, uh, you know, no easy feat in any normal circumstance. And then they built that hospital in like four or five days. Um, Of course, the the Chinese government is able to mobilize workers, um, you know, very, very quickly. And that's the immediate response. And then, as I said before, the long term response of China has sort of been adapting to what's most favorable to them. Now, the United States response is (laughs) very interesting, because Trump obviously called it a Democrat hoax, which, you know, I don't see how uh, partisanship could lead to a virus that affects everyone. But uh, that's beyond me. But I think that, um, you know, in my personal opinion, the Trump must still believe, like, I know he thinks it's real because it's hard to deny the statistics. But, you know, I believe that the real person who's driving the change is Mike Pence, because I've been looking at the daily briefings and Trump just says, like, you know, we're going to test the most amount of people ever or whatever. And, you know, he plays on his normal rhetoric. But Mike Pence, like when he gives the briefings, he commands authority and respect. And, you know, people may not like Mike Pence because of what he believes in. But I think that he is playing an invaluable leadership role under this. So to answer your question, essentially, I think the very nature of the politics in each country warrants a different response. And though I th- although I think the United States made a bad choice, or by United States, I mean Trump, Trump made a bad choice in labelling it democratic hopes. I think now they've, uh, you know, they've caught a lot of red tape with the FDA and all that. They've already started vaccines on humans. So I think they're doing a good job.
0: Um, so earlier on, you brought up the point of a of it being a PR victory for um, China at this point. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of articles around that as a, as a as a point, which is that coronavirus is presenting a good PR victory for, uh, China. Um, so do you think that, um, this, uh, I guess PR in terms of helping out other countries a lot, do you see this as, um, a purely, uh, selfish goal, whether it be to, um, improve the economy by making people trust China or to, you know, um, embolden their ideology, or do you see this as, China stepping into the boots of what America, I guess, in a sense, used to be in terms of being like world police and uh, attempting to assist the little guy, in a sense.
1: Oh, uh, you know, it's completely cynical in nature. The Chinese leadership only has one goal, and that is to increase its economic, uh, no, so increase its domestic sort of control of the people. um, And to do that, they need a strong economy based on uh, external economic relations. Um, And I think the reason why they're so keen to, as you said, help out Serbia, Italy, is because the second uh, things go back to normal, the second that people keep on buying uh, and going out to restaurants and all that, and the market for Chinese goods is open again. So, you know, even though some people may think that, oh, China is feeling maybe regretful at the fact that they were at the epicenter of this, so they're trying to deploy their scientists and their knowledge, I think the reality is that, they just want the money to start flowing in again. I mean, I, I published an article recently about how China's pollution levels have been plummeting, and whilst that may be good for like the Chinese environment and all that, you know, less factory production means less money, less products being made and shipped out. So yeah, it's all about the money, and as soon as things get back to normal, then that's when it'll start flowing in. So, do you see
0: this as a significant difference from, um, I guess, if you were going to take uh, like a like-for-like swap in terms of? America played sort of played that role relatively recently where they saw themselves as world police helping people out. And then now China's sort of taking that role in terms of coronavirus. Um, do you see this as a change from, uh, you know, if you're going to take, I guess uh, the, the super American standpoint of, you know, we're the heroes, we're helping out these countries say with, you know, regime change wars and these sort of things to China's coronavirus uh, helping. Do you see this as a change from good to bad or just bad to a different type of bad?
1: You mean on China's part?
0: Um, On on either side. So do you see that, uh, say, America's helping out the rest of the world in other situations, do you see their um, actions as also driven by selfish goals in terms of enriching themselves or emboldening their economy or these sort of issues? Or do you see this as a purely um, Chinese government-oriented thing in terms of helping the world out?
1: That's a good question. Uh, Yeah, I think that, so, for example, uh, the U.S. is sort of famous for um, going uh, to you know invading countries in the name of something but really it's uh you know to promote democracy and all that and, and, and it never really works um but i think with with china it's hard to say because most of the time when the united states invades a country or uh justifies war of some sort the the effects are normally bilateral right um and you know so it's the us in iraq the us in uh syria or whatever um, but I think the problem with the coronavirus and the only reason why China has been so benevolent is that it's affected what, like 150 countries, 153 countries. So it's not so much like good to bad or bad to good. It's, it's a change in circumstance. And also, we must remember that China's say, uh, stepping in to save the day is completely different to the United States stepping okay. in to save the day. I mean, you've got the, the United States is, uh, you know, a democracy where the rule of law is respected. Uh, And they have various freedoms protected under the constitution, Um, which means that for the most part, I'm not saying the United States is perfect, but we can trust its uh, intentions and actions a whole lot more than the Chinese government, who have no constitution, no constitution to protect its citizens. Sorry, they have a constitution, but it's just propaganda. Uh, And, you know, they're a communist authoritarian state. So it's about circumstances and the widespread impact of the coronavirus.
0: But could you not say that in terms of pure like practicality, in terms of what each country has done in different situations? Um, in terms of literally what they're doing, uh, let's say, for example, the regime change wars, America goes into a country, they topple its government, and then they either stay for ages, or they leave, leaving it in, uh, not a, in a, a, as you mentioned, not a very good state. Um, and oftentimes would probably make things worse. Whereas China, in this sense, purely practically, is just sending doctors, and is really helping out these sort of countries. Um, so do you see any sympathy in the argument saying, well, even, you know, we every country always acts in their own interest. it's always selfish action, but China in this case are actually leaving with positive consequences for that nation, whilst in America's case when they played this role, it's been negative for the nation that they've been, I guess, attempting to help as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at it in purely what... Uh, each country's doing in terms of um, people going and what what supplies are providing what expertise're providing in that sense, yes, but then again, I would say that if the United States was the cause of it uh, then they would be playing the same role mm-hmm. but you know i I do have to like for example the the fact that the that China could get that hospital built in four or five days and then now it had to be closed because they don't have the enough cases to treat people in uh, and then those scientists have gone to Italy, so I think it's, it's good and that in the very basic sense is helpful, more helpful than, you know, say what the US has done in Iraq and all that, but I, I sort of tend to resort back to the bigger ideological picture and seeing like what motivates them to do the, the good things. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so going back to the specifically the PR battle, um, how well or how poorly do you think uh, Trump and his government have been playing this sort of, I guess, ideological battle, as you put it? Um, you know, so for example, Trump's um, deriding, you know, or a common uh, phrase of calling coronavirus, you know, the Chinese virus. Um, do you think that's that these, this sort of rhetoric is helping or hindering the sort of effort to show America as the as still the like the savior state in terms of using, you know? they could say oh this is the chinese virus they're the ones doing this where countries like in italy and serbia where they're really helping out they would say oh america's being ridiculous this is the country that's helping us um so do you think that uh that america's response or america's pr in a sense uh is helping or hindering china's attempted narrative of them as the um the global donor in, in a sense
1: Ah, uh, yeah um i suppose like the, the case with italy right uh if they're receiving Chinese doctors, then it's very hard for them to then go along with what Trump is saying and, you know, uh, saying that they're the the epicenter of all evil in the world. Relating to what you said about the Chinese virus. So I'm I'm not too, um, what do you call it? Bothered by the phrase, because I think historically they have used the, um, you know, ideally you would just say it's coronavirus. But if you want to use the word Chinese virus, I don't think it's all that bad because it did originate in China. And historically, we have used a lot of um, viruses or diseases like the uh, Zika, um, Spanish flu and all that to identify the diseases by their point of origin or where they uh, sort of like the Spanish flu didn't originate in Spain, but it was reported on in Spain. So we use the location to help identify it. But in terms of the PR war, how effective the, uh, the US has been, I have to say not as effective as China, because I, I think Trump at the helm is problematic. Uh, I think that his um, ability and his tendency to just spin everything into like a, a reality show is, is very hampering. And, and you know, we've seen the, uh, the stock market, um, that, that, that to me is like a big indicator uh, of confidence in, in, not, in the, not only in the president but the cabinet and you know the fed said that they were willing to buy up to 1.5 trillion or no release 1.5 trillion dollars into the economy that the stock market is at its lowest point in about four or five years so you know in all honesty i think china is winning the pr battle as much as it pains me to say it.
0: so do you think that china is also benefit, benefiting from uh the um I guess, perceived failings of the US so far in terms of handling the coronavirus. I mean, most people in countries with socialized healthcare, uh, which is most of the developed world, I guess, um, has been looking at the US right now and thinking, God, I cannot imagine what it would be like being in a country where there's a global pandemic and you have to pay for your healthcare. Um, Do you see that? Do you see these sort of um, these failings of this sort of Difference in ideology being fleshed out further as a success for China, and they can think you know, do you see it as a success that they can they can look at America and say, this is what this ideology has led to, a country where people can't, literally can't afford treatment for this global disease?
1: Uh, no, not at all. But I'll, I'll expand expand on a second. I think I, I don't I didn't mean to say that the US isn't responding appropriately. I mm-hmm. think that the way they're portraying their response is is poorly done. But I think, you know, they, they recently said that everyone in the US will be uh, tested for free. Uh, so they are doing the adequate responses. Um, but then again, you know, people will always push for like a lockdown or whatever. But you have to uh, remember that the United States is a very individualistic place. Um, and, the, you know, the, the separation between the, of power between the federal government and the state government means that really Washington is quite limited. With regards to the ideology and benefiting China, uh, I don't think so at all. I think the u s will receive criticism um because of its the nature of its healthcare system um but not to the benefit of china because I, I i don't know well I can imagine that china in healthcare the facilities aren't that great that's why all the billionaires and the millionaires that live in China come to the u s or or you know other countries to to get treated um and also part of the communist ideology means that they aren't you know everyone is equal, they have access to the same um sort of uh, means of production and all that, which really doesn't allow for any discrepancy uh, between better hospitals, worse hospitals and all that. So I think the US has and will continue to receive um, a lot of criticism because, you know, it's ridiculous that uh, I think a test without insurance is $500, Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. like that. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who don't have insurance because it is expensive. and. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe depending on who gets elected in twenty twenty, this may uh, be a trigger to like nationalize healthcare. But again, the United States is very individualistic, and Americans would hate the thought of paying more tax to pay for someone else.
0: Uh, but could you not say that? Um, let's say like there's there's countries which have been looking for, I guess, a path to go down a sort of ideological path. Um, do you not think that they would look at this specific situation right now and they would look at America and they would say, well Sure, maybe testing might be free, and even then, there's been some complications around that. But treatment, there it has to be paid for in a country where the average, you know, person can't afford a $500 emergency, that represents a real problem. Where they would then look at China. China can say, "Well, look, you know, this pathway is a terrible one. It leads you down this the private healthcare, like as as a component of the overall ideology, is one that leads you down chaos. Whereas we look at us, you know, we've had we've gotten our cases are going down, and all of these sort of outcomes um do you not see that as a i guess as again a pr victory or an ideological victory yeah uh, for uh, for other countries who are still you know finding their own path in the world um
1: uh, no uh, i think I, again i you can't base uh, the success or the demerits of an ideology on on one aspect of it i think capitalism has and always will be to uh will continue to be the the main force for, for human advancement. But unfortunately, w- when it comes to healthcare, I mean, I view some benefits of the American healthcare system, but only if you have money. And the problem is not everyone has money. So <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, t- you know, if you're rich, God, the United States, some of the, you know, Mayo Clinic, Mayo Clinic and the, the hospitals up in the New England, they are fantastic. Um, but if you don't have the money, you can't access it, and that's where the problem is. But if you if you're saying that it's going to benefit China, I, I'd have to disagree because China doesn't have any sort of uh, amazing healthcare system. They have, in fact, very poor um, hygiene standards throughout industries, uh, which is you know ha- hampered by the fact that they have a government that only focuses on like domination of its citizens. So. I, you know, say you're some middle of the road country. You're still uh, swinging to see whether you want to go the socialist, communist route or the or the capitalist, free market route. I I I would hope that you wouldn't base your your sort of uh, disposition or your undertaking of ideology on just healthcare. But maybe for the less um, less informed and uh, those who see it like purely on a, a basic matter. Then, yeah, you could say that uh, the capitalist healthcare system in the United States is uh, sort of a symptom of capitalism's failures as a whole. But it definitely, definitely wouldn't go to China because if capitalism is bad, then communism is a lot worse. <laughs>
0: So um, moving on uh, beyond this point, so how successful do you think China has been in this, sort of, in this PR war as we've described it or this sort of ideological battle so far? Um, because in, in terms of purely economically, um, their economy is predicted to grow in the next quarter uh, and there's been a, a, a relatively significant rise considering you know, the times right now uh, in, for, in foreign-owned stocks in RMB, so Chinese currency. Um, so in the economy and then beyond this, how successful do you think China has been in this PR war overall?
1: Well, I'd, I would make a distinction between Chinese citizens and the top brass of the Chinese government. So the Chinese government, I think initially it would have seemed that um, they weren't going to benefit because obviously uh, if, it's, uh, if the virus comes from China, you know, China, if they call it the factory of the world, right, then that's going to severely hamper them. But then there was a point in time when, they were seen as like the the major like very benevolent people uh sending scientists and and helping mm-hmm. spread their knowledge but i think we're sort of going down a curve now where there's a lot of people on the right in the united states who want uh retribution they, they want revenge for the fact that uh you know the, the u.s is um the coronavirus is costing the united states so much money and so much effort um that China shouldn't have to pay. And it's not something that, like, they couldn't have contained. Because, as I said uh, at the beginning of the podcast, there was evidence that the, uh, there were symptoms and cases of the virus in the beginning of December, and the Chinese government showed it up. So, you know, at the beginning, it looked bad for the top brass. Then it looked good because they were sending all these scientists. But now I think it's returning to look bad. And I think, I'm sure we'll touch, uh, speak on this later, but I think that West-Chinese relations will never be the same. Now, in terms of, like, the Chinese people, I think they've lost big time. Uh, I think the perception, not just Chinese people, I think anyone who has uh, Asian characteristics, because, unfortunately, when we, um, when we panic and when we're put into a situation where we're sort of uh, made too prone to our survival things, we tend to make irrational judgments. And, you know, you saw at the beginning, I think it was in January or February uh, of this year, that a lot of uh, Vietnamese businesses, Korean businesses around the world had to put signs up saying like, you know, we are not Chinese, so don't stop buying from us. But then apart from that, there was the numerous uh, racial incidents uh, like hate, not hate, hate crimes, I think. Yeah, hate crimes, you know, against people who, uh, you know, just resemble Asian, uh, have Asian characteristics. And then they were, you know, they're insulted at, they're yelled at, they're spat at, whatever. And, you know, they're Filipino or something. So I think uh, the Chinese and it, the the thing is just Chinese culture and Chinese food and everything. The Chinese people they're very, very lovely people, but humanity has a tendency to when it's put in backed into a corner, they just freak out and make stupid decisions. But do you see that as a as a failing
0: of I guess of China or, uh, for example, to apply it specifically to the U.S., uh, where we see most of these sort of hate crimes happening, um, is this not a byproduct of trump's framing of the disease as the chinese virus or or all of the things like kung flu um is that not a trickle-down effect where people are now starting to associate oh, yeah. this disease specifically with a chinese origin and then leading to this sort of discrimination against anyone who someone could consider to be even vaguely um chinese if they would guess
1: did you say kung flu
0: yeah that was one of trump's jokes he said kung flu oh,
1: i think that was his joke <laughs> That man is, uh, yeah, has no re- Listen, I, I, I am a firm believer that, uh, n- speech does not, um, lead to action. So if Trump said something, I, I don't believe mm. that, um, unless he's uh, made a call to action saying, you know, if you see a person who has, who resembles, um, or has Asian characteristics, beat them up. Uh, but he didn't say that. So I don't think that that triggers it. Now, Um, I think that most people, uh, most educated people, I think could make the rational assumption that uh, not everyone who has Asian characteristics is Chinese and not everyone who is Chinese goes, uh, you know, has come to China, specifically Wuhan in the past six months or whatever. A lot of them are Chinese American who've never even been to China. So I I don't think his rhetoric is uh, is aiding it. I think misinformation is um because you know to be honest i don't think saying the words chinese virus is then going to insinuate someone to uh spit on a chinese person so
0: um moving on specifically from this to the uh the changes in western and chinese relations so right off the bat what would you say how do you think this the the coronavirus incident is going to change uh chinese western relations
1: well it's it's uh They're going to turn for the worst. They're going to turn sour. Um, You know, I think that, but not too sour because unfortunately, you know, China is a lot like Saudi Arabia uh, in the sense that we share nothing in common with them in terms of values, democratic systems, economic systems, human rights and all that. But China produces most products uh, for American companies and Saudi Arabia is, you know, an oil major. So we can't deteriorate relations too far but this is what i think will happen first of all there will be uh sort of less what's it called tariffs there that's the word there'll be more tariffs on goods uh which big businesses will like in the united states but trump will want to um will want to what's it called uh sort of work on and implement right Then another region that I think another area that will be implemented will be the South China Sea because the South China Sea, um, in the same way that the Middle East is like a proxy between the United States and Russia, uh, South China Sea is like a proxy between the United States and China. You're going to see, I think, increased U.S. presence or increased U.S. support to uh, allies in the region to counter China uh, because the U.S. firmly believes, and it's a doctrine that's been around for a while, that if Southeast Asia falls to China, Than the rest of the world could as well, because that uh, and that's why uh, the United. Because you know, there's so much uh, the Strait of Malacca that goes through Singapore, Asian uh, Indonesia, and Malaysia uh, carries 25% of all seaborne oil. So it's a very important region. So you're going to see tariffs. You're going to see increased involvement in the South China Sea, and you know, apart from that, there there may be something to do with uh, North Korea. Because obviously, the only reason North Korea eats, breathes and lives is because of China, essentially. There's no way they could survive under all those sanctions without outside help. So there might be a, a sort of shift away from the United States to China from North Korea. And I say that bearing in mind that North Korea and China are allies. But there has been a sense of reproachment. But I believe that if things sour, then, you know, Kim Jong-un will always choose Beijing over Washington.
0: So um I was specifically focusing on America but let's say for the rest of the, of the Western world so including Europe for example um, you described that there would definitely be a souring of relations between uh, America and China but do you think that this what this crisis will do is give China a greater um, I guess hold on certain countries in Europe so like Serbia and like Italy who they are helping out a great deal um, will this give them a I guess a greater playing
1: field in in uh europe
0: as an influencing force
1: i mean it could be but uh, not enough to make a difference and and you know the first thing that comes to mind when you said that is nato right nato uh is one of the strongest defense alliances in the world and i think very few countries in that alliance would uh choose chinese benef- uh short-term benefits over the 70 year alliance has sustained um europe together but you know it very well could be because with the china has launched this um initiative called the belt and road uh plan that essentially wants to build ports rails airport um highways and all that around the world and they've already seen made some progress with uh some european countries like they've signed memorandums of understandings perhaps this uh virus and all the help that China has given to to said countries like Serbia and Italy may, um, you know, soften them up, per se. But I think that so long as the U.S. remains dedicated to to protecting uh, and being the cornerstone of NATO and, you know, holding uh, Europe together, it's very likely that there will be a, a shift towards Beijing. Unlikely, sorry.
0: But so would you not say that you know a country like Italy has been hit so hard by um coronavirus that after when you sort of the, the smoke clears and people start you know getting outside again, they will look back at at the way their country functions. And they will think, well, we did this really badly. Um, we, we didn't get any support from our like supposed allies or our supposed people who are supposed to be helping us. Our help came from China. Do you not think that this would represent a almost um a selling or uh, an increased popularity of Authoritarian systems because there will be a, people people could have been so affected by this crash They will think you know what this seems like the only alternative
1: Well, it's funny you say that because I I read in a I think it was BBC article that the, the measures that um, that the Italian government implemented in Italy uh, Are you know unlike anything they've seen since since wartime, but the polls show that the Italian people don't, uh, don't mind. In fact, some would support even stronger measures. But, you know, the reason why Italy has been hit so hard is not because of a lack of support, because uh, no one is helping each other now. I mean, right now, it's a, it's a free-for-all. Everyone invests their own medicines, uh, you know, invests their time where they can, their money and all that, except China. Um, but, you know, I, uh, the Italy won't fault, say, the US for not helping, because none of Europe helped it. But the reason why they've been hit so hard excuse me, is because of their elderly population. In fact, the regions that are most uh, heavily affected affected, have the highest uh, percentage of elderly people. So that's why they've been hit so bad. But in terms of a a shift towards um, authoritarian governments, if we're talking about Italy precisely, I think the the scar of, of Mussolini, um, and, and, you know, Hitler, the, the strong alliance they had. I think there's a lot of people who still are, uh, were alive during that time, even though as a baby, but they were born during that. And uh, I, I think that any sort of whiff of authoritarianism is going to likely repel the government, uh, um, repel the people. And also, the only reason why they're most likely not fighting back against these measures is because... One could say that we are in a war against an invisible enemy, right? Uh, and so the people accept it. Uh, humanity and humans uh, have a tendency to, when things go wrong, they like to give up control in a, in a bad sense because they feel like, uh, you know, if, if the responsibility is offloaded into someone or something else, then that's better. But if, if we were under normal conditions and the government started restricting every aspect of our lives, I I don't think that, um, you know, Italians or anyone would like that at all. In fact, most Chinese people don't even like it. But I think that once this coronavirus is over uh, or the, you know, who knows what that even means. But when things have some semblance of normality, then I think people are going to rejoice the freedom, uh, you know, to go wherever they want, to not have curfews, to be able to walk outside. Things that, uh, you know, unfortunately only happen in Western democracies. At the beginning of that, you
0: described the current situation as a free-for-all, where every country is out for themselves, they're researching their own medicine and all of that. And um, my question is that, do you not think that people could be be turned away from, I guess, a capitalist system in where, when a global crisis starts, every country is fending for themselves and everyone is out for themselves, except for the one, I guess you would say, pillar country which has rejected this sort of um, Western-pushed capitalist ideology? And they are the ones that are helping people out. Um, do you think that this could, in theory, convince someone to think, oh, maybe this sort of free market capitalism isn't the way to go? Because when the chips are down, everyone ends up fighting for themselves. Where the only one who isn't fighting for themselves. If you were going to take the most like, you know, basic application view and in terms of pursuing the PR war was won by China, that it's this country which isn't engaging in this sort of uh, out for themselves mentality.
1: Yeah, no, good question. I, I would say no for two primary reasons. The first is uh, we've seen that uh, the Chinese government tried to cover up the outbreak of the virus. And that is something that would not happen um, in a place where the, the, the press, um, you know, freedom of the press exists, which is in uh, basically most of Europe and North America. So I think if someone were to suddenly be uh, turned or enthralled by an authoritarian regime, I would Point out to them that uh, if it if this virus would have originated in, um, in 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 a country, as I said, that has freedom of the press, then it would have been released earlier. The government would have been able to take measures earlier, and it most likely wouldn't have spread as far as it did. Um, and the second re- uh, second thing I would say to that is that um, you know China didn't from the start when they saw that the virus was spreading to other countries, they didn't deploy their scientists. They fix the problem internally, and now they have a decrease in cases every day. Um, and so they—they they quote, you know, they technically fended for themselves first. It's just they had the advantage of the fact that they it originated there first. So it's not that um, China partook in in this same free for all. It's just they did it a lot earlier, and they had the—they now have the luxury of time, whilst most people are still trying to fend for themselves. Obviously, we would love, you know, here in Britain to. To help our allies and send aid over but what point is uh, there's no point in that if our our own our own country is still unsafe so yeah a few points to that but I I wouldn't use it as the you know sales susceptible I wouldn't use that as the shift towards uh, communism.
0: So do you see this sort of um, reaction by China and, and then increasing relations with the rest, and I guess and with the West, sorry, and the rest of the world, uh, do you see this as China sort of stepping into the US's shoes in terms of being seen, as I described earlier, sort of the world police and uh, attempting to be the sort of like champion of the planet? Um, do you see this as an attempt by China to muscle in on this territory and start challenging this sort of the American-centric um, dominant force of the world?
1: It's tricky. It could be the start of a long-term plan. And I wouldn't put it past uh, Xi Jinping to do that. But, you know, the fact remains that despite, essentially, what I believe is that China, the only good thing that China has in, t- in terms of the government, the top brass, the Politburo, is money. They have unlimited amounts of money. But money only goes so far because, you know, the difference between China and the United States is that when the United States offers you a billion dollars, there is sort of, um, there's a sort of uh, reassurance, that's a word, that the, the country that you're receiving this money from is good natured. Now, you could debate about you know, specifics of that, but on the whole, the United States is a free market capitalist democracy. And those are, the, in my opinion, the best uh, sort of method or, or formula for a nation state. But China, on the other hand, you can be assured that they are going to use that uh, capital, that billion dollars, to uh, manipulate you and um, integrate you economically and then dominate you politically. So, but, yeah, so that's their modus operandi. Now, maybe this thing with the coronavirus is is the beginning of that, but they're going to have to go a long way to convince uh, all the people that they want to flip to Beijing's side that they are not the authoritarian communist regime they say they are. And unfortunately, the only defense against that that they have is like, oh, well, we're going to help you, you know, uh, level up your infrastructure and develop new ports and you're gonna have, uh, you're gonna thrive economically. But most people, I think, you know, that aren't very poor developing countries think, well, but at what cost? What ideology is coming tied into this? And a, a big thing that China, um, China uh, attaches to when it tries to um, give money or whatever, is the, the non-recognition of Taiwan and its support in Xinjiang and all that, its support for issues like domestic issues. But unfortunately, uh, China has lost the morale in that point when it tries to convince people because of the, the detention of the Uyghur Muslims, right? So six, sorry, I've been rambling all the time, so it's <laughs> it's six, okay, I think going to it's going to have to uh, change its perception if it wants people to, to tally along. Now, that's not to say that the U.S. Isn't per, uh, is perfect. I mean, you only have to look at Iraq, number one, Iraq, number two, Syria, you know, all those times that it, it has messed up. Afghanistan that has messed up. But at least um, it's the perception that the United States has is not as negative as the one that China has. Could you
0: not say that? Say you're a citizen of one of these countries that you just described, you're a citizen of Iraq, Afghanistan, even a country which had, you know, uh, a US-backed coup in it, like Bolivia, for example. Um, would you not say that you wouldn't really see a significant difference in terms of their intentions because you've seen America come in, they've, based, they've, you know, they've had massive failings, they haven't really improved the country at all. If anything, they've made it worse off and killed a lot of civilians. Whereas what China's offering isn't, um, specifically in terms of what you're getting, isn't an, like an aggressive takeover. They're saying, we're going to give you some money, improve your infrastructure, and then basically get, as you'd say, soft power. Um, because there, a lot of citizens in these countries would rejoice at the possibility of having a, a major world power attempt to use its soft power to influence them, rather than the America's you know, military force.
1: No uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh if I tried to put forward this argument in uh you know the middle of Iraq or in Kabul or Baghdad, <laughs> I'd just get slapped in the face um, but and and that's completely understandable because you know unfortunately uh, Hugh, the the ability or the yeah the ability to sort of look back and judge the ideologies the nature of the the aid package you're given is, is a luxury for those that have other alternative sources. And unfortunately, most of the developing world are developing because they are in need of, of a cash injection. So absolutely, I think that most, uh, you know, you go to most countries like, um, you know say, Pakistan or Iraq or even countries where the U.S. hasn't had a lot of involvement like uh, Botswana, let's say, or somewhere like that. Um, I think they wouldn't hesitate at all to, to take the money. Uh, because they just don't have the, you know, their, um, their view is about how can I get money to lift up my, my country. And they, they don't have the, the privilege, I guess you could say, of saying, well, I'm not going to reject this communist money. I'm going to wait till the, till the demo- democratic aid package comes. Because, you know, they can't, they, they just can't do that.
0: So, let's say that China wins this sort of PR war and they manage to muscle in on the US as one of the major global powers uh, and start getting a lot more influence over certain countries. Um, What would you say would be the most significant difference between the US being influential in this sense and China being influential in this sense?
1: I can sum it up in one word, and that's freedom. (laughs) Freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of assembly, because the thing is, the thing with China, and the reason why I'm... uh, what you could call a neocon in, in a sense, but I guess I am a firm believer in that if we have um, Western uh, democracies like the United States with a presence in every region of the world, we assure, uh, we assure the neighboring countries that we will try to protect them against the evils of authoritarianism and all of that. And, you know, say what you will about previous United States involvement in countries. I think for the most part, are countries like Afghanistan, who their tribal nature uh, and the way the country has evolved um, over the past thousand years means that a uh, democracy just won't work because it's just not, it just won't, which is why it's failed. But I think for the most part, in, in most regions of the world where the United States has a presence, the people are freer, the people are safer, and the people have m- more vulnerability to lead the lives they want to. Now, contrast this with China, if China was. Um, it, it, you know, in charge, if they were the global um, sort of policeman, if, uh, if you'd like, uh, it would be completely different because the United uh, Chi- the Chinese government detests the United States Constitution. It detests freedom because of the very fact that it means that they can't have control. You know, communism, people, uh, a lot of people think that, oh, yeah, it's great to have like communism. Everyone has, you know, what they want. Everyone gets what they deserve. Yeah, but the thing is, it's the government determining who gets what. And it's all about oppression and control. There's no freedom. And a lot of people like in this country, I mean, the fact that I'm able to say these things, without I'm being imprisoned and you know, my grandparents being thrown up or made disappear, quote unquote, is because uh, the UK and the United States just have a different set of values. And should China become the global superpower, we're gonna see their values um, um, imposed on us. And that is very, very dangerous, which is why I've uh, gained an interest in China because it's, the, it's such a contrast in that we rely on it economically, but politically we have absolutely nothing in common. And whilst they portray themselves to be our friend, the friend of the West, the fact is they just want to uh, absorb us into their sphere of influence so that China has an ever-increasing population who is fed, clothed, and sustained on the economic back of the rest of the world.
0: Do you not think that, though, in, in the beginning of your description, um, when you talked about sort of America increasing in, in the neocon vision of increasing its presence in various different countries and, I guess, offering protection, um, do you not see see a contradiction in that of, of the, the core tenant and the most important idea being freedom in that, it, in this sense that it almost sounds like freedom by force, you know, it's, it's don't worry, we're going to make sure you're all free. Or we're going to do it by force. We're going to, you know, increase our military presences in your countries, even if you don't want it to, don't want them to, and it sort of ignores sovereign borders in in promotion of the, the ideology of freedom, which, in this sense, seems to be almost contradictory. Um, do you not? Would you not see that as a problem in terms of the the vision uh, or the neocon vision in contrast with uh, China's? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, you could take that in- interpretation, yes, but I guess when I. When I say about an American presence or a British presence around the world, I, I don't mean, uh, you know, troops or, or anything on the ground. I, I mean, like giving logistic support to the relevant agencies, uh, uh, supporting the government parties that uh, oppose, um, yeah, you know, uh, oppose any sort of authoritarianism and all that. Um, and I think it's about a lot of soft power. I think hard power should uh, be avoided at, at all costs. But uh, I don't see it as a contradiction, because it's not necessarily enforced freedom, <laughs> if you, if you want to use it that way. It's more about um, facilitating the conditions that can best uh, allow people to be free. And if you have a government that uh, restricts, I mean, I, I just think of the Uyghur Muslims in China. Um, China says that it, it's uh, undertaking, you know, they call it re-education camps, and they're undertaking a, a de-radicalization program, which... <laughs> I think is just so so ridiculous. I mean, no one can believe to, uh, no one can be expected to believe that. But do you want to know the kick of it? That Saudi Arabia, MBS, when asked about it, he he praised China, in its de radicalization efforts, which just shows to you how far you know money can, can buy loyalty. Because uh, I, I mean, Saudi Arabia is where the, 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 the two two holy sites of of Islam are, right? I mean, and, and for them to say that the unjust internment of one million plus Muslims who've done nothing wrong except, you know, worship Allah is is ridiculous. But anyways, I think that if if uh, China were to be at the helm, that sort of thing would happen. But no, I don't think there's any contradiction. It's all about facilitating. And, yeah.
0: So if you're going to sum up um, how you think the, the coronavirus uh, crisis will change global relations, uh, and how china's influence will be shifting in the years to come uh how would you do that
1: yeah uh so uh first thing i think is the most important is that there there will be tariffs and there will be um increased economic tension between the united states and china uh the second thing is you can expect proxies to be uh further escalated in the sense of most specifically the south china sea um, because, you know, the United States will will see the, uh, the economic uh, toll that it's had and, and want to have some sort of retribution, but it can't, it can't risk an all-out conflict with China. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think you're going to see a lot more, uh, maybe, re- you know, China has a lot of, like, Confucius Institutes uh, in, in the United States and all that. I think you're going to see a lot more uh, hampering down on, on Chinese or, or Beijing-based institutes, um, and then on a more global scale, I think that from this uh, coronavirus, uh, Western countries and really countries around the world are going to either view this. Um, I mean, I saw your podcast with uh, August the other day about the global capitalism. And I guess it is true in a sense. People are either going to see this as the, uh, the defining mark, uh, the same way the global recession was uh, 12 years ago, but no, we'll see. But for the most part, there's definitely a souring of Chinese-West relations. And I think it's right. I think it's a, a long time coming that the U.S. finally stirred up to China uh, because, you know, the, the breadth of things they have done against, against um, the United States and the Western General, and the fact that they just hate the United States Constitution shows them, you know, I don't think China uh, should be our ally at all. Um, I think that we can overpower them militarily. We can outsource their jobs uh, economically and then politically, they just have nothing to do with us.
0: Very interesting. Okay, strong words to end on there. Rob, thank you so much for coming on.
1: No, oh, you it's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: This has been lovely. Uh, everyone go follow Rob on Twitter. His at is uh, Roberto M. White. Uh, give him a follow if you want to see more updates on uh, on his opinions around these issues. I'm sure there'll be plenty of them coming uh, as, as the situation changes and uh, and all kicks off. Once again, thanks for coming on, Rob. This has been great. Thank you, Hugh. Take care. Thank you very much. Okay. Hope you enjoyed, everyone.